initially I was like, this is what, what the hell? Like these, these are supposed to be my people. Why are they hating on me? And I would go back to my apartment and get upset there a lot. Like when I was a kid, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell anybody. I would just kind of deal with it on my own, but through the writing class, I started writing about what these people said and then interjecting what I wish I had said in the moment. Welcome to the Student Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's episode 162, we are back, and we have Ashley Harrison-Dowdy. She joins us from Houston, and we talk all about her experience as an artist, a designer, and teacher. And we also want to talk a little bit about her blog, Design Kettle, so please check that out as well. Ashley was also a finalist for our 2015 competition, and of course we will have more information about that 2016 competition coming up, so please stay tuned. If you happen to be a regular listener of Studio Break, you might have noticed that I disappeared for quite a while. Um, I got married in June, so again, a lot of my energy started veering that way. I made uh, 50 wedding favor paintings to give away to my guests, so again, I was very busy with that, and of course, had a magnificent time in Paris, uh, so hopefully we can start connecting with you all out there so I can uh, uh, visit for a couple months next time. Uh, Suffice to say, a lot of life experience impacting the studio, so I'll be looking forward to doing a lot more interviews and uh, expanding on that as we uh, head into year five coming up uh, this fall, which brings up our annual competition. Again, if you happen to have an exhibition space or interesting uh, proposal, please get in touch. Again, we're going to try to make this year's competition extra special uh, with different opportunities for artists, and again, just stay tuned for that. If you happen to be catching Studio Break for the the first time we want you to check out all the other podcasts uh, that we have up on studiobreak.com uh, again you can go through the archives each of our episodes have images of the artist's work and links to their website so you do want to check that out maybe uh, while you're looking or listening rather um, so do that um, of course you can subscribe to studio break in itunes so please do that. You can follow us in a number of places. You can like our Facebook page. You can follow us on Tumblr, that's studio-break.tumblr. And, of course, send all of your cool tweets to at Studio Break. And uh, with all that out of the way, here is our interview with Ashley Harrison-Dowdy. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Um, I'm excited to be talking with Ashley Hairston Dowdy. How are you doing this morning, Ashley? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. And um, where are you out of today? Where are we speaking with you from? It, it's kind of odd to be April in Chicago and you're seeing flurries, but where where are you at? I am in Houston, and it's supposed to be 75 degrees and sunny here, so... <laughs> <laughs> You might be a little jealous. <laughs> so a little different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was weird. I, I actually spent some time out in Dallas. Um, and I guess, you know, having yourself kind of lived in, in the Midwest where it kind of gets cold, it was always interesting because people would really lose it. Like if there was like a half inch of snow, it, it was like a big traffic thing. So Right, yeah. <laughs> 
So I apologize. I will run off into anecdotes all the time. I'll, I'll try to stay focused, though. Um, so I guess before we, we get started, um, I always like to know, wh- where did you grow up? And I, I like to kind of get some of those uh, experiences, maybe that informed um, you at, at an early age. And, you know, if any of those included um, art making or, you know, how that creative process kind of related. I actually grew up all over the place. I've... I was born in Indianapolis. Um, We moved to St. Louis and lived there for a few years while I was a kid. Lived in Cincinnati for a few years. I spent the, I spent most of my childhood in Knoxville, Tennessee. So if you ask me where's home, that's what I'll say. Mm -hmm. I grew up in predominantly white communities. um, And I think that had a profound effect on just my view of the world. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until later in life that I found a way to bring that into my artwork or even really talk about it. But I, I had a hard time kind of navigating between, you know, going to school and being the only black girl in class and then going and hanging out with my family and my cousins making fun of me because they say I talk like a white girl. Mm-hmm. So... So there's that. <laughs> Certainly sounds difficult to, to kind of grow up in that environment. Did you write a lot? Were you doing a lot of like diaries or, or journals about, you know, things that you were kind of experiencing that kind of showed up in your work later? I would keep a diary every once in a while. By the time I was about 12, that's when the internet started to become more normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, you know, I would chat with my, my best friend I might send, like, join a, what do you call it, like a message board or something. Um, but for the most part, I, I just kept it all to myself. My family, it's been, uh, up until recently, it's been me, my brother, and uh, my mom and dad. And we would always have dinner together uh, almost every night. And so as I got older, we would talk about some of these things, but... Yeah, for the most part, I just kind of kept it to myself. I didn't really feel comfortable talking about it to other people. And was like artwork a outlet for that at all? Did you do a lot of drawing or any anything kind of art related? I always did something art related. I I wouldn't say that growing up that it was necessarily an outlet. It was more something that I just did. Mm-hmm. Every summer I would take on a new art form or craft. So I did toll painting. I did, you know, jewelry making, clay work, something different all the time. And I would go to art camps and it was just about trying out different things and exploring all the different aspects of art. And thankfully my parents were really supportive of that. But yeah, it really wasn't until college and even more so in grad school that I, I was able to take, take things that happened to me personally or or certain events in my life and feel comfortable putting it out in the world. And did you kind of, kind of always know that you wanted to kind of pursue this? Um, Because it seems like, again, there's never like a, 
the same story twice, it seems like, you know, people maybe come to it really directly. Some people come to it. Um, I spoke with someone that was, uh, that was studying to be a doctor and took a ceramics class and changed her life. Um, but did you kind of always want to pursue that or did you have other kind of goals that kind of snuck in there and I don't know, <laughs> this derailed you? <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, I always loved, um, making art. I think when we were living in Cincinnati, that was when I had a really awesome art teacher. I still remember her name, Mrs. Bellamy. And she just taught us all different kinds of art. She had a art camp that she did every summer at the Taft Museum in Cincinnati. And with that, we learned about traditional art and then newer art forms. We got to go to look at studios and see practicing artists. And I think that's when I was like, okay, this is, this is really cool. This might be something I could actually do when I grow up. Were you kind of active doing a lot of art in school as well? Well, in middle school and high school, I designed a lot of t-shirts mm-hmm. and that's when I, especially in high school, that's when I figured out what graphic design was. And, um, I started, when I was looking at colleges, I started to look at schools that had a graphic design program, but I've also really enjoyed drawing. I've always been pretty good at drawing. So that's how I ended up looking at Washington University in St. Louis. They have a communication design program, but they also have a component that ties in illustration. So once I found that program and, you know, started working in that area, um, I started realizing that this could be a, a career path. Well, and it looks like, again, like just kind of like looking over some of your experiences, you, you kind of have that almost like dual relationship as a, as a designer, as a fine artist. And I'm curious then, you know, like at the start of that experience, um, and maybe you'd already kind of stated that it wasn't really until graduate school that maybe your your content changed a little bit, but what kind of things were you kind of making? Was it was it a lot of like class-related stuff? In college, a lot of the work was project-based. We had certain classes we had to take as part of the major. So we had typography just like a general graphic design class where we learned about layout and using color hierarchy, all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And then as a, um, somebody who concentrated in illustration, we also had one or two illustration classes each semester. Usually the, the projects we'd have certain parameters, but we might be able to choose certain aspects. A lot of the illustration projects were more open-ended. So, we might have to illustrate a story, but we got to decide what story we were going to illustrate. For our final project or thesis project, it had to be something that we could kind of tie back into design. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I ended up doing was an illustration project. It was a series of watercolor illustrations. It was about taking this book and putting it into a different visual form. So I ended up having to do a presentation in front of like a hundred people and, and whatnot. Overall, that was a a really good experience and, you know, got to do something hands-on, which I love, and then still find a way to tie it back into design. 
Yeah, I, I'm curious then too, um, you know, because a lot of my my 2D students have more experience almost using Illustrator and, and Photoshop than they do drawing. And I'm just kind of curious, like as, as someone that kind of explores both ends, do you do you find that they inform each other? Because I, I don't know. I mean, I know that even in terms of just the way that you might come up with compositions, was that something that there was a balance between the two? I don't know. I'm just kind of curious the, the relationship between the digital approach and then also the the two-dimensional approach, I guess. I almost always start with things written in my notebook um, and sketches in my notebook. I'm There might be times if, you know, there's a project that I'm doing for my full-time job as a designer where I just have to jump right into Illustrator or InDesign or Photoshop and don't really have time to sketch it out first. Mm -hmm. But if I'm struggling to figure out the layout, then I'll usually go back and actually sketch out just generally where I want things to go. When it comes to illustration, it's very rare that I just start in Illustrator. I almost always start with a sketch. And the great thing is now you can, um, I can take my phone and take a picture of the sketch. I don't even have to scan it in and it comes straight onto my computer. I can then drop it into Illustrator and trace over it. So there is kind of a, a working method that you develop over time, uh, but it also is dependent on the situation. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and again, I, I just find it interesting because um, I feel like I'm getting older. Well, and I, I of course am, but <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're um, just thinking about the way that those skills kind of change um, or just uh, the relationship that, that people might have to drawing versus using a computer, it's just, it's interesting because there's like a directness um, in some ways, I guess, in both forms. Um, but in terms of these illustrations, then in, in terms of content, what kind of, um, what kind of content were you I guess creating uh, towards the towards the end, I guess, of your studies as an undergraduate. I was really interested in uh, story illustration. Really, when I um, was in my senior year, I was hoping to go into children's book illustration, which is a really difficult area to get into, just because it's it's so saturated already, and it takes a lot to get noticed. But the projects I was doing, the assignments were story-based. I did a series of illustrations on Little Red Riding Hood, did some illustrations on Huckleberry Finn. And then my final project, I illustrated a play by Federico Garcia Lorca called The House of Bernarda Alba. And um, I originally wanted to take all the illustrations and then put it into a book that I typeset of the play, but that was a lot to take on in four months. So mm -hmm. I ended up just doing the illustrations, but the play is about a group of women. They're all related. Their father has just passed away and it's in a very traditional Spanish home. And the women aren't allowed to leave the house. They're not allowed to speak to men so there's a lot of issues surrounding gender and society, and I've always really loved that that play. So I took certain points within the story 
and illustrated them. I worked a lot with the composition, color, symbolism. And so it was, it was really a really good experience for me because I was having to take text and find a way to explore some of the, the meanings in the book from a visual perspective and also make it really interesting because of course this is, this is a play. It's meant to be on stage, but I'm taking, I'm making these static images. So uh, I also had to figure out how to put emotions into the characters, how, how they were different from one another in terms of the way they looked and they dressed. So it was, it was a really intense project, but I really enjoyed it in the end. I'm kind of curious then, are you doing a lot of research then? Are you looking at books? Are you taking source photos and creating compositions that way? What, what are some of the ways that you're doing research uh, for a project like this? I did a lot of research about more traditional Spanish style architecture and clothing. Um, I did have some friends pose for me <laughs> in uh, a few instances because there's just some really intense positioning that is was hard for me to to figure out on my own. But one thing when it comes to illustration that I would teach my students when I was, um, when I was teaching in college at a college and I still do today is to look at a wide range of images and then kind of put those images away and try to interpret it in my own way. So I don't get stuck on one, one iteration of say, um, a woman holding, standing with a cane. Mm -hmm. I want to look at a lot of different images of a woman holding a cane and then, translate it into something specific to my work. And I would imagine too, just, you know, generating all these, these illustrations, you kind of start to develop your own um, way of doing things or, you know, style of illustrating or, you know, what you emphasize and what you don't. So it's, it's interesting yeah. to hear these different um, components um, with regards to like other kind of like influences at the, at the time, were there any artists or designers, I guess, especially that you, felt like a kinship with. And again, as you kind of already said, you know, your content, like kind of got more and more picked up, um, you know, in graduate school, but I'm kind of curious at the time, what was really influential? In college, I was really interested in the arts and crafts movement and 1920s. My parents gave me a book about the Harlem Renaissance. So uh, I drew a lot of inspiration from the black artists, um, that were working during that time. But I've always had an interest in details. Um, so in terms of the arts and crafts movement, there you know, was a lot of very intricate work in a lot of the pieces. And so with, with my thesis project, I put more details into the illustration itself, but also into these frames that these illustrated frames that went around each piece. And so um, it wasn't just for decorations. The elements within the frame even alluded to certain things within the story. But I didn't necessarily have specific artists that I was influenced by at that point. It was more just looking at certain styles that I really enjoyed and seeing what I could do with that 
But even at that point, when I had graduated, I didn't have a particularly strong style. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that a lot of students get hung up on is they feel like they have to graduate and have a style, but it doesn't happen overnight. Um, It usually happens when you least expect it. You're just, you know, going, making work, finding your own methods, and then you come about a way of making things that looks like nothing else anybody has seen. But it it usually requires looking at a lot of different artists' work, um, a lot of different pieces, and picking out what you enjoy about each one of those pieces or that person's work. What kind of um, time do you think um, one of these illustrations might take you in in watercolor? Uh, um, Well, most of my time that semester was was taken by research. Um, The actual image making... It might take me a couple days and, you know, mind you, I'm in college and have other classes that I'm taking, but it, it might take me two to three days to do the sketch. And then I would take that sketch and uh, trace it onto watercolor paper that might take um, one evening. And then the actual watercolor process might take a day or two. Mm-hmm. So um, I ended up doing nine illustrations and I think three were about tabloid paper size two three were um letter size and then three were like half letter size so they weren't all huge illustrations so the smaller ones took a lot less time to make so what happens after uh graduating from undergrad where where did you wind up um moving on to did you get a job right away as a designer uh no Um, I ended up moving back home and I really wanted to, I really wanted to be a children's book illustrator. And I had two really great, um, advisors my last semester, um, Linda Solvik and, uh, John Hendricks, and they're both practicing illustrators and doing great stuff. And I was, you know, like, okay, what do I need to do to to get this started? And so I took a few months and got together my portfolio. I went up to New York and did some portfolio drop-offs at different publishers. And that's kind of when it hit me that this illustration thing was going to be really hard. And um, I didn't quite have the stomach or the bank account to just go to New York and, you know, wait tables and just wait for my shot. Mm -hmm. So, um, I did apply to some grad schools at that point, which my professors didn't recommend. And it ended up being a waste of application fees. But, uh, I did after a few months find a full-time job at a uh, design firm that I interned at when I was in college Before that, I was actually working at a scrapbook store in Knoxville, and you wouldn't think that would have any influence on me, but um, it actually, I was teaching classes, so that helps me in terms of eventually getting a job as a college professor, and then I was 
doing a lot of hands-on work. So I was still kind of incorporating my design into the scrapbook pages I was making during that time. But no, when I got out of college, it was just a few years before the recession hit. And so um, not only was it hard to find a, a job right after college, but even once I got a job, things started to go downhill. And so being able to keep a job became more difficult. It seems like there's a lot of parallels uh, out there, you know, with people's experiences, um, you know, especially around this time too. Yeah. So was it kind of interesting to kind of get into this work? One thing that I'm really kind of curious about, I think, especially like, you know, as a painter, I guess, I don't know, you get used to kind of just doing what you want to do all the time. So what is it like to kind of, you know, start and, and start working on designs and, and working through things that, I don't know, that are someone else's, I, I don't know. Could you talk about that process a little bit, for, especially like students that might be interested too? That's one of the reasons why I love school, <laughs> because you get to do your own work. Um, of course, as a designer, it's rare that you're going to be able to just do whatever you want and have it be profitable. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times you'll take on projects that aren't particularly interesting and, you know, you, you do it because you, you have to every, maybe like one out of five or six projects is one that's just really, really interesting maybe one out of 10 is one that's just incredible and you never want it to end. For the most part, at least for me, when it's a project that maybe isn't something that's particularly interesting, it helps me to focus more on just doing something that um, communicates what it's supposed to and making sure that everything is, is as well done as it can be. I want people to look at what I produce and not even have to really think about, Oh, why is, why is this typeface here? Or, you know, something looks really off with this advertisement. I want it to, to look effortless and clear to whatever audience it's supposed to reach. So yeah, for me at that point, it's more about communicating the message and making it a success, successful design piece. Yeah, and it's again very cool to see all the 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 different work that you've done. Again, um, if I fail to mention it, your your website is at BalanceNet, and again, we'll of course share a link. Um, but again, there's so many different examples. I would imagine sometimes it's it's almost if you have like limitations trying to find a a way to make them exciting. Mm -hmm. Is that I mean, is that like a strategy that you have to kind of like, oh, gosh, this is drab. What do I do? Or you know, how do I make this um, visually pop? Well, there's sometimes you just don't really have a choice. Some of the, the projects already have a template and you pretty much have to stick with what's presented. Okay. Where I'm working now, it's for a major corporation. So they have a brand already set. They have colors already set. So, you know, you, you mentioned before that I, you noticed how I like to use color I've tried to put certain colors into some of the work and, you know, get told that I can't use it. So mm -hmm. uh, that can be frustrating. But um, I've also been working on some projects where I have a lot more creative control and I still have to make it more corporate. It can't be too out there, but I've been making my own icons because you know, icons are huge right now. 
been doing tons of icons and little illustrations, been trying to find photography that will work well within the project. And then this project is, is more of like a really large book. So I'm also having to deal with um, layout design and keeping everything consistent. So, you know, it's just those little things that help make it interesting. It's interesting to kind of get more insight into to what it's like to be a graphic designer. And, you know, it certainly seems like you had, you know, found some success in that and, and working through it. What led you back to graduate school? And I guess how did that story unravel, if, if we can kind of talk about that for a little bit? I, I always knew I wanted to go to grad school because I wanted to teach at the college level. You don't have to have a master's to teach necessarily, but it, it helps. So... That was my primary reason for going to grad school. It also came at a good time because when I was had applied to grad school, I think it was 2009, right? Maybe like a month after I had gotten into the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, um, I got laid off <laughs> from my job at the design firm. So I was like, all right, well, this Decision kind made. of worked out. <laughs> yeah. But I guess also... With grad school, is I wanted to kind of figure out who I was as a as an artist. I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's it's true, and it it worked. I was able to focus more on what I had to say and what I enjoyed doing. I guess just to clarify then too, so did were you working at the School of Art Institute of Chicago while you were taking classes? I mean, I was a student worker. Okay. Um, I was a TA for a letterpress class and a writing class and a graphic design class. So I was doing that while I was, was in school and I was doing a few freelance projects every uh, now and again. So were there any particular instances that really kind of propelled that conceptual side of your work? I know earlier we had talked about some of your experiences growing up and the way other people uh, perceived you, um, but especially in graduate school, I'd imagine that would be something that would be really unpacked with uh, peers and you know teachers as well as like artists that you're looking at. Uh, but what really drove that conceptual part of your, your studio? So I don't know. I'm just realizing this is kind of a theme throughout my life. <laughs> But um, things would just kind of happen and work in a way that made something really something mm-hmm. much bigger. So I obviously moved to Chicago to go to grad school. And I think it was towards the end of 2010, I was taking, I was going to be taking a writing class in the spring. And um, I was also taking a fibers class where I was screen printing and dyeing fabric. And then I was also taking a lot of visual narrative classes within the visual communications area. And the end of 2010, I met my now husband who is, who's white. And, um, he and I would walk around Chicago together, you know, go out to eat, spend a lot of time on the the train, Mm -hmm. the L And I would just get a lot of hate from other black Americans. Like I had sold out because I was with a white guy. And, you know, initially I was like, this is what, 
what the hell? Like these, these are supposed to be my people. Why are they hating on me? And I would go back to my apartment and get upset there. A lot like when I was a kid, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell anybody. I would just kind of deal with it on my own. But through the writing class, I started writing about what these people said and then uh, interjecting what I wish I had said in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so I did a, a series of writings based on some of those experiences and then um, came across this idea of producing fiber pieces that put the, the statements and the writing into a, a different form. So that's kind of how I, I ended up with this work that was a lot more personal, but still connected with, um, with a, a larger audience. But how, how did that process, I guess, work? I mean, in terms of just writing, um, I'm, I'm sure that you generated, you know, maybe ideas of how they would look, but like in terms of like, say pillows or, you know, making physical objects, um, could you kind of talk about that, like domestic, uh, side of it or like that presentation that would kind of invite people to kind of have part of that discussion? The pillows came about um, because one thing I realized when I was trying to deal with these these issues on my own, I would go back to my apartment, which is a tiny studio apartment, and I would just, you know, I would yell. I never wanted to break anything because I knew how much money I spent on stuff. <laughs> so I ended up, you know, punching my pillows and throwing them around and that kind of led into making pillowcases because pillows, obviously they're, they're meant to be comfortable. They're meant to, uh, help you sleep and, you know, make sleeping more enjoyable. But, you know, for me, I would, wouldn't find it comfortable anymore. I would get pissed off and want to hurt something. Um, and the pillow wouldn't get pissed off if I punched it. So, with the pillowcases, I wanted to set it up so people would see the pillows and think, oh, wow, that looks colorful and inviting and it has something written on it. I want to go, go lay on it or read what it says. And then when people actually got closer to it and read what was on the pillows or peeled off a pillowcase to find another pillowcase beneath it with more text on it, they realized, wow, this is some really messed up stuff. And it, the pillows weren't comfortable anymore. You know, in, in terms of just like a discussion, I mean, were people, you know, asking you about, you know, these situations and kind of talking about that, that relationship? Um, what was the reaction from people when they would see these uh, pieces? Um, the first reaction was people did, were afraid to touch them. And I think that's because it was in this exhibition environment where, you know, typically people don't want to touch. They feel like they're not supposed to. And I think I ended up having to put a sign up saying, you know, please feel free to touch the pillows and, you know, take them apart. Um, the people who did interact with the pillows found themselves relating in some way. If they were women, they tended to relate to the the pillows that said something about, oh, hey, baby, or you look fine today, you know, that whole situation of catcalling. Um, and then minorities would 
uh, feel a connection to the pillows where, you know, I had been called out for being with somebody outside of my race. But even people who didn't fit into either of those demographics felt like it was an interesting way to present um, present those situations. So for the most part, I the reaction was really positive. It did make me realize that I had found the right medium, but I needed a different, I, I'm going to need a different way to um, encourage people to interact with the, with the, the items, whether they remain pillows or some other form, because people just didn't want to, they didn't really understand the concept of pulling off a pillowcase and seeing another one underneath. So um, that's one thing I'm going to try to work on next. Yeah, it's really interesting to kind of present something that is a little challenging um, and then to kind of present it in a way that um, people can kind of be invited to, to participate. And so I think that's a really successful kind of component to that. And, you know, again, I think it kind of almost also relates to those experiences that you were describing in terms of frustration. Um, cause again, people can almost kind of associate like a, a comfort, um, but then also it kind of brings it back around to the, the situation that, you know, you were in that kind of provoked that, that feeling, it's crazy that in 2016, people want to pass judgment and give their opinion and, you know, make you feel bad about something that, you know, obviously you're perfectly fine with. Yeah. And I'm curious, though, too, one of the things that I think is interesting in one of the pieces, um, the pillows look like they're kind of presented almost like on a uh, almost like a sofa. But then there are these kind of like screams or like these uh, curtains. Um, I, and I, I guess it kind of elicits more of that, that like domestic space. Is, is that something that you are maybe interested in exploring or? Yeah, that's definitely something I, I am exploring more. The idea behind the, the panels was one to enclose the space to make it feel a bit more intimate, but also to show that, you know, I am existing in this weird in-between area. So one of the panels has, words that are used to stereotype white people. And then the other panel are words that are used to stereotype black people. And throughout my life, I felt kind of in between. I never really felt completely accepted in the white community or the black community. But in the future, I would really like to take an actual domestic space and fill it with common households, items, things that I could either produce myself or have manufactured that people could come in and interact with and kind of look deeper into the meaning of. And I think all of this also kind of strangely uh, ties into my mom because she grew up, she was a seamstress and now she produces sewn pieces like, like pillows and curtains and drapes for interior designers. So she does a lot within the home. And so that also, I think, fed into what I ended up producing. And so we've kind of talked, especially about this kind of dual relationship. You're, you know, you're teaching, you're also a designer. Um, how do you, is that an easy balance? Um, do you have like a master no. schedule no. <laughs> that you're on just so that you stay on? I don't know. How do you manage that? No, it's, 
that's one thing that I'm, I'm still really trying to figure out. Um, I taught at, uh, at Middle Tennessee State outside of Nashville for three years and loved it. But I was very focused on teaching, which, you know, I should be. But as a professor, you're also expected to do your research. And I did do one project with a, a coworker. Rick Rishaw, that kind of fed off of my work from grad school, but otherwise it was really difficult to do my own work during that time. I then ended up moving down here to Houston with my husband and um, started trying to figure out another source of income because there weren't any, there haven't been any teaching positions open or at least ones that I've been interested in here in Houston. So until I got the, the current full-time job I have, I was looking at um, starting this blog called Design Kettle and using that as an outlet for teaching, but also to talk about my own work and to sell some things, which I still intend on doing. But of course, now it's, it's extremely difficult when I'm working 40 hours a week outside the house. Yeah, it's it's such a strange thing to figure out a balance um, as a, as yes. an art person, um, which is interesting. Again, I was I was speaking with someone you know in my personal life that is doing extremely well, and I think the only thing that they could say was just kind of like, well. You can do all these things that I can't, um, <laughs> but there's this, there, there's almost yeah. kind of like a real thing about that too, though, you know, like in, in terms of like choosing like, you know, a life that you're going to feel like more content with, um, you know, even if it's, you know, like not even if it making, you know, making choices and designing things has got to be kind of like a nice balance to that in some ways. Yeah. Knowing that you have that skill set, I guess, to, to be able to do something that people want, but then also you have all these skills that I'm sure you've picked up along the ways. Like, I mean, we haven't even talked about just even sewing, I guess. Um, so how many <laughs> yeah. different, how many different media are you, do you feel comfortable with? I mean, have you, you've kind of done so many things that you see like a lot of applications for this or. Well, of course there's, there's painting, drawing, digital. I do, when I do digital work, it's usually in illustrator and design. I can do basic sewing. I'm not as good as my mom is. And then there's the fiber art. Yeah. I like to do a lot of different things. And that's one thing that I still am trying to figure out too, because, um, at least with the, the project from grad school, I, I found a medium that works with the fiber art, but then, you know, there's other things that I want to try out. Uh, for instance, I would like to screen print on paper and make posters and those sorts of things. So sometimes I, you know, just have to sit back and be like, okay, what do you really want to focus on right now? What is actually feasible right now? But yeah, I'm not, I'm not one of those people who necessarily just finds one way of doing things or one method, one media, and will only do that. I, I like doing a lot of different things. Like in terms of then where you're at now, are you, are there things that you're working on in the future? Um, ideas that you're kind of working out 
like even in terms of like a sketchbook or um, just kind of in, in those research stages, um, anything that people have to look forward to in, in terms of seeing some some work in the future? I've contacted a couple individuals or groups that I would like to work with or at least, you know, maybe um, do a, a feature on their blogs or something. There's an organization called Holla Back, which is an organization that is trying to fight um, catcalling and street harassment. And so I think it'd be really cool to be able to do some kind of work where the public can take note of the things that are inappropriate that happen in public, especially to women quite often. And then there's an activist named Feminista Jones um, who also deals with street harassment and feminism. And so, you know, she does a lot of speaking and conferences and things. So eventually working with her would be really great. I'm still trying to deal with this time management thing. Eventually I would like to take kind of the pillow projects and work, um, work in some different components to make them easier to interact with. I took a, uh, like a week long course on adding electronics into fibers. And so what I'd like to try is putting mechanisms into pillows and soft furnishings, things that might beep when they're touched, or they might vibrate when they're touched or light up when somebody walks past it. So there's more of a, a sensory experience going on with the work rather than just reading and touching. No, I think that's very interesting. And I would imagine, again, just kind of keeps opening up uh, new, new potential, you know, possibilities and I don't know, just configurations for how to explore that, that conversation that you're having, you know? So, yeah. well, I guess, um, I don't know, is there anything that I um, haven't brought up that we should bring up before <laughs> before we wrap, I guess? Um, I do have this design kettle um, site that I'm working on. I do have a couple articles that I've already posted. I also want people to feel comfortable telling their own stories. Mm -hmm. So taking some of the things that I've learned while in grad school and, you know, to up to this point in my life, um, to encourage other people to find a way to express themselves, whether it's through design or art or photographs or whatever their, their outlet is. Can you just, um, remind everyone, uh, just all, all the places they can connect. So the, the blog is designkettle.com. I do have a Facebook page under design kettle. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Google Plus. So most of the major social media outlets, I'm I'm on them. Very cool. So again, listeners, please go and check out Design Kettle. Make sure that uh, you share your experiences, uh, send tweets, uh, follow Instagram accounts, and all sorts of good stuff, and and check out Ashley's work. Well, again, I I really appreciate um, everything. Again, it's been great talking to you, and I really appreciate you applying for the um, for the competition. It's been great to have you on, and. Um, we'll look forward to seeing more of your work. Well, thank you very much. I, I'm honored to 
have this opportunity. Thanks once again to Ashley for joining us, and please go check out our website, designkettle.com. As I talked about in the beginning of the episode, we will be announcing our annual competition, which is kind of moving to the fall. We're especially looking to broaden some of our collaborations, uh, especially with exhibition venues. Again, if you happen to have uh, some big holes in this year or maybe next year or the following, again, we really want to make this next year's competition really huge. Again, we're celebrating year five this fall. um, So the more stuff that we can kind of hook up artists with, the bigger and better it'll be. So again, please uh, reach out and say hello if you're interested in collaborating with Studio Break. Other than that, again... Details will be announced uh, shortly in the next few weeks, so please be patient, and again, thank you for being patient through this hiatus. Once again, if you haven't, please check out studiobreak.com. Again, there's plenty of episodes up there in our archive. Each of the interviews have images of the artist's work, and if you want more, just link to that website and check it out of course you can listen in the default player but most people will by now be a subscriber in itunes so please go there subscribe to the podcast of course if you like what you hear uh, please leave us some uh, comments there as it just generally helps other people find this podcast and it's a small way that you can contribute Um, otherwise again you can feel free to donate thousands of dollars Uh, again we do need a (laughs) face look for studio break at some point so of course donations are appreciated as i'm wrapping up i'd like to thank skylar mail for providing music to studio break again he is a visual artist a painter a performance artist and he's got all sorts of cool stuff to check out at skylarmail.com so please go ahead and do that if you'd like to see some of my artwork that's davidlinaway.com and of course if you feel like uh, helping out and participating with the 2016 competition uh, please uh, send any of your uh, collaborative ideas to me Uh, again you can find me on facebook pretty easily I would like to remind you once again, you can like our Facebook page and find out what's going on there. You can also follow us on Tumblr, that's studio-break.tumblr. And of course, send your tweets to at Studio Break and be sure to follow there. Again, we're looking forward to uh, some good conversations. And again, it's good to be back. So uh, thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.